Man, I hope and pray that you were blessed and participated in the praise and worship singing today, uh, lifting your voice in song, uh, always recognizing that uh, the sacrifice of your lips, the praise that you offer to God is a sweet, sweet sacrifice. Not because of how melodious you sing, but your commitment to the Lord to give him your best. And we're grateful and thankful for that opportunity. Let's go to God and pray and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, bless your word as it goes forth, God. May we be more than just hearers of your word. May we be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we think about the Christian life, it's amazing how many things we add to the table to determine whether or not we are a successful Christian. Uh, for example, there are some people who add attire to the table, that the sign that I am a successful saint is the clothing that I wear. And the more expensive the clothing that I wear, uh, the more successful I must be as a saint. Um, we add to the table the car that we drive. And the more expensive the car, that we drive, then I must be blessed by the Lord. I must be walking with God. We add to the table the house that we live in, the neighborhood that we live in. And if I have a big house and a big mansion, then I must be walking with God. There are so many things that we add to the table, but, but the truth of the matter is, in order to be a successful saint, success by God's definition is not measured by what we have or don't have. It's measured in how we live and interact with him and with other people. Do you realize that if you use the criteria that most people use and some of you use to determine whether or not you're a successful Christian, if that was the criteria of God, that Mother Teresa would be a failure as a Christian? Martin Luther King Jr. would be a failure as a Christian? Oh, wait a minute. Jesus would be a failure as a Christian. See, the truth of the matter is, the key to us being all that God wants us to be is in our vertical relationship with him and our horizontal relationship with one another. Today, I want to continue a series that we started on last week. Uh, blessing others by living the one another's. Uh, over 60 times in the Bible, the phrase one another appears. And there are a number of admonitions that are given regarding how we are to interact with one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, uh, encouraging one another. And today we're starting with the foundational one. I believe the, the, the foundation of all of our existence as believers when it talks about how we relate to other people. I want to deal with part two of how to love one another, how to love one another. Now, on last week in part one, we focused on realizing that God wants your love to be real. God wants your love to be real. The text says, uh, that when you talk about love, your love should be genuine. 
without hypocrisy, without duplicity, um, that your love is to be steady, your love is to be substantive, and your love, when it goes forth, is not just rooted in what is said, but it's always evidence, ultimately, in what you do and how you live. So God wants your love to be real. But today I want to go to part two of our message. And here's the one point for today. I told you last week, God wants your love to be real. Here's the second thing, though, in this part two of this series. Number one, you need to realize God wants your love to be lived. He not only wants your love to be real, you need to realize God wants your love to be lived. Evidence needs to show up that your love is genuine. You can't just talk about it. We need to see and know and experience. The world needs to see that your love is real. Somebody said, why is that important? It's important because when they know that your love is real and you are a Christ follower, then they know that God's love is real. Because it is in the displaying of God's love through you that they see God's love in the world. Now, if my love is real when it is lived, how does it show up? Paul gives us four very practical ways that you and I can demonstrate our love for other people. And this love, remember, is for the lost and the found, for the saved and the unsaved, the believer and the unbeliever. We, we should be consistent in the love that we share because God is consistent in the love that he shares with all of us. Look at A. Your love is real when it hates evil. Your love is real when it hates evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. The New Living Translation says, hate what is wrong. Hate what is wrong. That, that word abhor means to hate with intense feeling, to loathe, to look upon with horror. Uh, I remember growing up when I would say I hate something. Uh, for example, if my mother said, uh, you want to try this or you want some of this, I said, I hate that. And she said, don't hate it. She said, how are you going to hate what you haven't even tried, right? Because she knew hate was a strong word. Somebody says, I hate you. That's a strong word. Some, some people, for some people, that's a, that's a word you can't recover from, right? I hate you. But he says you should hate evil. Now, somebody may say, wait a minute, why should I abhor or hate evil? It's because love desires the very best for people. Now, not that love always requires them to feel good, but love should always have at its center to help people become good and to be the best that they can possibly be. Love hates evil because evil destroys human spirits 
and human life. You and I are to stand against evil doing all we can to fight it. And it doesn't matter what form that it shows up in. Uh, hunger and poverty, uh, we should hate it. We should hate hurt and pain. We should hate uh, cursing and bitterness. We should hate greed and divisiveness. We should hate disease and suffering. We should hate ignorance and godly godlessness. We should hate immorality and destructiveness. We should hate selfishness and corruption. We should hate those things and stand against them. He says we should abhor evil. Here's the point. If your love must be real, then you must show your love by hating and fighting against that which is evil. You, you can't say you love and not stand against evil. First Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. Psalm 34, verse 14, read it with me if you will. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 97, verse 10. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. I told you first you must abhor what is evil. You must hate what is evil. But, but here's the, the second way our love needs to show up. Look at B. Your love is real when it is committed to what is good. Your love is real when it is committed to what is good. Uh, the B part of verse 9, hold fast to what is good. The New Living Translation translates that verse and that phrase, hold tightly to what is good. It's one thing to hate evil. It's another to hold fast to what is good. Uh, that phrase, hold fast, means to join or fasten together. Uh, it has the idea of cementing something in place or gluing something in place so that it cannot be removed. Uh, you are to desire only the very best, all the good possible for people. And, and, and Paul says... Uh, you and I have a responsibility to cleave to what's good. Now, can, can I tell you something that I've learned in life, uh, sad but true? For many people, for most people, relationships with people override a person's relationship with the Lord. And so we'll do right until it is inconvenient, or we'll do right as long as it doesn't affect the people that I know or the people that I love or the people that I like or the people who may be able to do harm to me later on. He says, you and I have to learn how to hold on to what's good. Hold on to it. And demand, watch this, that folk move to us 
as we stand close to God instead of us giving up our position of right and moving closer to them. Uh, there, there are people who claim to be moral people, claim to be followers of Jesus, but the truth of the matter is uh, they, they, they have long since confused over partisanship what's right and what's wrong, and they've been inconsistent. One man can do one thing, and he's wrong because of his party affiliation. Another person does worse, but he's right because of his party affiliation. And we've allowed political parties to take the head over where the church should be in terms of our position because wrong and ro- is wrong and right is right in the kingdom of God. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm right about it. Look at Luke 635. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and reward will be great. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Galatians 6.10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hebrews 13.16, the ESV translation says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's go to C. We're talking about a love that's lived. C, your love is real when it is shown to others. Your love is real when it is shown to others. Verse 10, Romans chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Uh, the New Living Translation says, love each other with genuine Affection. That phrase, brotherly affection, is a compound word. It's, it's a compound of storge and philia, right? Uh, and it's brotherly, but it's family. Storge talks about the family love that we are to have in, in families. And, and the charge is dealing with the Christian family in particular, the brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love each other by being kind and affectionate. And again, the New Living Translation uses that word genuine, real affection. Now, let, let me be honest with you. It is a challenge for many of us to love like we should in the body of Christ when we don't love like we should in our own nuclear families. When your family is rocked, with dysfunction. It is hard to find godly function in the body of Christ when you bring dysfunction from your own family life. But here's what I believe God is challenging us to do. I believe God is challenging us to look at our own lives and basically to say, where I'm on point, bring that to the family of God. Where my natural family falls short, if I know it falls short, leave that dysfunction, I'm coming to the family of God to function as I should, and prayerfully, God will make me strong enough to be able to go back and help my family of birth move from dysfunction to proper function. By me praying for them, 
and modeling for them how they should be living. There's somebody that's watching right now. Thank you, Lord. You're watching, and you might have had some pushback from your family because you have, for example, family members who said, man, you act like that's your mama. She didn't give birth to you. You act like that's your daddy. They ain't do nothing for you, right? But, but, but here's what they don't understand. Uh, in the family of God, specifically, but in general, family by choice can be as powerful, if not more powerful, than family by chance. Right? Remember what I said last pe- week. Some people want to be loved for where they are instead of working to get where God wants them to be. Paul says that that affection that should exist between brothers and sisters, between family members, let's make sure that the family of God reflects that. So that even if we don't have it in our natural family, because we know it's not right there, let's choose to do right in the family of God. Make sure there's no dissension, there's no divisiveness in the church, because there's no dissension and divisiveness in love. Look at John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, let's read it together. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. Let's go to D as we get ready to close. D, your love is real when it intentionally honors others. Your love is real when it intentionally honors others. Verse 10, the ESV translation, Romans chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Here it is. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. The New Living Translation says, take delight in honoring each other. Now, now, my brothers and sisters, I, I've got I've to confess something to you. When I first read this verse in the ESV translation, I was taken aback. Uh, because when I saw it saying, outdo one another, I'm thinking, there shouldn't be competition in the body of Christ. Right? We shouldn't be competing with one another. But this is not speaking to a competition as much as a commitment, a commitment to honor each other and to add value to each other in a way that we keep on adding value because as we keep on adding value, we both keep on getting better. Uh, That word for outdo means to go before or to lead the way, uh, to set an example. Set an example in honoring each other. Uh, That word for honor is where we get words like reverence and respect and esteem. 
He basically says, if your love is being lived, right? Remember, we said first, your love's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. And if your love is real, then your love has to be lived. He said, and your love is lived when you take the lead in esteeming and expressing honor to others. Um, so there's some places that some of us find it challenging to love and esteem and honor others, especially people who are close to us. Because people who are close to us, we know the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So for example, you see me now, I'm on your phone, I'm on your tablet, I'm on your TV. Uh, some of you in the Houston metropolitan area, you've listened to me over the last nine years on KTSU, 90.9 FM, on my radio show. And people have a perception of me, right? Their perception, though, is from a limited perspective. So if you really want to know who I am, it's not the people who see me for moments on the outside. You probably want to talk to somebody who's with me on the inside. Let me put a cord in a medium park here and help somebody. You know when you know somebody really is to be esteemed? When you see the people who are close to them esteeming them. When you see their mama, their daddy, their wife, their husband, when you see their, their, their children, their siblings honoring them, it's like, wow, that person must be the real deal. Right? That person must be the real deal. Some folk can fake it. Some folk will lie. But, but normally when you're around, if you know people, if you know how to read people, you'd be like, hmm. Because some folk will be like, yeah. Yeah, I'm here, but I ain't, I ain't really here. You know, I'm here out of obligation. I'm not here out of appreciation. How needed is it in the church for us to esteem each other? For us to outdo each other in esteeming and honoring each other? How much... How much divisiveness exists in the body of Christ because of a failure to esteem each other? Um, people are hurt because they feel overlooked, uh, because they haven't been honored, they haven't been esteemed, they haven't been thanked, uh, they haven't been recognized, they haven't been given a position. They haven't been given a place. They haven't been shown appreciation. Imagine a home full of people with each person taking the lead to intentionally esteem and honor the other. I mean, what kind of home would you have if husband esteemed wife and wife esteemed husband and Parents esteem children and children esteem parents. 
you, you might think you were in a television sitcom, right? You'd be like, oh, that's not my house because folk are cussing and fussing. Folk are mad, angry, upset. But imagine if we changed how we acted and said, you know what? We're going to esteem each other. We are going to affirm each other. Imagine how different that home would be. Now, my brothers and sisters, imagine how different the church would be if as a church, instead of being critical in Jesus' name, instead of condemning and judging, imagine how different the environment would be. Imagine how different the atmosphere would be if we made a commitment to outdo each other in esteeming and encouraging each other. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, read it with me if you will. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Somebody said, what about my good? Well, watch this. If you seek the good of your neighbor and your neighbor seeks your good, then guess what? Both of your goods are good. 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, that there is a path to salvation and witnessing. When I learn how to esteem and honor others, it's right there. And I have that chance when I make sure that my love is not only real, but I make sure my love is lived. I want to encourage you this week to do all that you can to identify at least one place in your life where your love can be lived in a way that adds value to somebody else. And if you need to do it with each other, then make a commitment. Spouses, parents and children, somebody you're in a close relationship with, and see who can honor the other the most? And can I tell you something? At first, it's going to seem strange. Um, at first, you might laugh. But you'd be surprised how it changes the atmosphere when you learn how to esteem others and bless somebody else by living out the one another's of God. Let's pray. God, we bless you and thank you for today. I pray now, God, that everything that has been said and everything that has been done has been pleasing in your sight. God, I pray that you will be glorified in everything that is done and everything that is said. Everything that has been done and everything that has been said. I pray that the seed of your word has found good ground in our hearts. And help us, God, this day to make a commitment to love one another as you have commanded us to make sure our love is real and make sure our love is lived. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, brothers and sisters, if you're listening right now and you've never asked God into your life, I want you to know the greatest love that the world has ever seen. Jesus said, no man loves anyone greater than laying down his own life. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for you and for me. And you say, well, I'm not a Christian. That's why his son came and died for you, to give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and as your personal Lord. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, uh, you can put it in the chat and say, I want to be saved. I want to become a Christian. Uh, life has beat me up and beat me down to the point that I know I need somebody bigger than I am to help me handle life. I need God to walk with me and I need to be conscious of his presence in my life. Make that decision. Click on a link that says, I want to be saved. I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to the Lord. Click on that link, and I'll show you privately how to ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life and lead you in the prayer of salvation. If you're looking for a church home and you believe this is where God wants you to be, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Man, we are just a people in process, determined to discover God's purpose for our life and to live out that purpose to his glory and for our good. And we welcome you to join us on the journey. Now listen, uh, last but not least, um, if you feel so led um, and you're in need of prayer, just put in your prayer requests. You can also download our church app, uh, wherever you get apps, the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church app. You can also uh, register with us online, unite with our church. If you want to become a member, say, I want to join the church. And you can join the church, not just physically in person, but you can join our church on the digital platform as well. Uh, over the next couple of months, we'll be launching our online discipleship program. It's designed to help you to grow, but it's not just the dissemination of information. It's information with the goal of producing life transformation in the context of relationships. And you'll be able to join with us uh, in small groups. You'll be able to join with us in serving your community wherever you are on the digital platform. I'm excited about it, looking forward to what God is going to do in the lives of those of you who are watching via the World Wide Web. Now, six ways you can worship the Lord in giving. Uh, give as God has blessed you. Give as God has prospered you. Give as God leads you. Uh, there are multiple projects that we're working on. We're working on an initiative now looking at best practices on how we can help share the gospel and share God's love with the homeless population here in Houston. We're looking at how we can continue to sow good seeds into uh, young people uh, to help them fulfill their potential in the Lord. Uh, so there's several very, very powerful things that God is doing through the life of this church, not to mention our ongoing ministry uh, and addressing food insecurities in our area and the like. And so I want you to be prayerful that God will continue to bless as we continue to serve him. And we ask you to join us in the kingdom building work as God leads you. All right. 
last but not least, remember God is doing something wonderful in you. God is doing something wonderful and amazing in me. I'm claiming it. I see it. And I hope you can see it. And here's what I would say to you. If you don't see God doing something amazing in your life, the fault is not God's. You're waiting on God. And I'm telling you right now, God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you to get out of your own way so that he can do in you, to you, through you, and for you what he wants to do. That's somebody's word right there. You just got to get out of your own way and let God have his way. Until next time, God bless is my prayer. We're going to continue our look at another one of the one another's in the Bible.